Once again, we are reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. Let's go ahead and read this together. Since it is a little longer, I'll read it aloud as you follow along on the board. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God, of our God and Father, knowing, beloved, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So you know, just as you know, what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we ask that you will once again open our hearts and minds to your voice this morning as recorded in your word and as preserved for us through the ages. Father, you inspired these words so many years ago through the pen of Paul, and yet they are eternal words, words that you have planned from eternity, words that you wrote down in history and words you have preserved down through the ages so that today we may through them know you more and become a church that you delight in. Father, we ask that these words will strengthen us this morning. They will empower us. We ask that you would do the work that only you can do so that you will get the glory in Calvary Baptist Church. Father, we've come here this morning not to hear the wisdom of men, not to hear the words of Randy, Scott, not to have our ears tickled, but to hear from God. And Lord, we want to hear from you so desperately. As we look around in our world and we see all of the various things that are going on, Father, we pray desperately to hear from you. We have heard from you in your word. We ask now that you would take these words and implant them in our hearts, that we would become doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, Father, to that end, move me aside and do only what you can do. May your spirit implant these words, and may he inspire us to have a higher view of God, cause us to fall more in love with you, so that we will be more apt to serve you in our lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter one, we've been talking about the, um, the, uh, um, the biblical theology of ministry and uh, just going step by step, building a theology so that everything we do in the church is built on the solid ground 
of our faith in Christ and not on whatever fads you may choose, whether they're the fads of today or whether they're the fads of, you know, yesterday, 50s, 70s, take your pick. But uh, we want a church that is built on Christ and Christ alone. We want a church that, like, uh, like Metropolitan Tabernacle in, in London, a uh, 500-year-old church still faithfully preaching the gospel uh, because they have built on the doctrines of Christ and not on the fads of men. And so we want to be that kind of place. And the way we do that is we allow our theology to define our methodology not the other way around. And so we've been building a, a, a very thorough theology of ministry. And we've kind of come down to the brass tacks. I've reviewed it a lot, so I won't do it again. But we've kind of come down to the brass tacks of it all. What do we do as a church? What is our goal? What is our aims? You know, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so we got to ask, our goal is that we will glorify Christ. And we've, we've discovered how to do that through the theology that we've presented, through the various texts that we've looked at. We've looked at what God has told us to do. We have to do God's will, God's way. If you're, doing, if you're trying to do God's will, but you're trying to do it in a worldly way, then that is not God's will. God's will, God's way. So God gets the glory, not us. And so we've talked about that. And we come down to what is the aims? How do we aim to reach that goal? And as we've looked in the scriptures, we've discovered that over and over and over again, they tell us that the goal is to reach maturity. Maturity in Christ, individual maturity in your own life. Uh, maturity in the church as a mature church of Christ, a mature body of Christ to a full person who has grown into the fullness of the measure of grace that Christ has given us. And as we look, we have to define what maturity is based on the Bible. And what we find there are three cardinal characteristics of a mature Christian that is kind of fleshed out throughout the rest of the scriptures. And what we saw is that they are faith, hope, and love. And a mature Christian, biblically defined, a mature Christian is one who is going to be growing in his faith, in his hope, and in his love. And, and of course, all of those things, we have to define those biblically as well. And so last week, we looked at faith. And we saw that faith is, is knowing and understanding what we believe, you know, uh, a lot of Christians will go around today and say, well, you don't need all that doctrine. You don't need theology. You just need to love Jesus. I heard R.C. Sproul respond to that one time. He said, who's Jesus? And as soon as you try to answer that question, you're doing theology. So the question is not whether you are a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? That's the question. And so we want to be a church that is grounded in the faith, knowing the faith, and knows it deeply. And we talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about maturing in our hope. And the way I like to refer to it as is living our faith. We talked about knowing our faith last week. And we want you to know the faith, Calvary Baptist Church. We want you to be grounded in the faith. We want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. But it's not enough to stop at knowledge. It's not enough to stop at knowing. We also want you to live out what you know. We want you to live it in a vital and effective and wonderful way. 
In our Sunday school class, we've been discussing and practicing spiritual disciplines. And, and one of the points that I brought out in that class is that your understanding, your hope of the future, your hope of your future is going to have a profound impact on how you live today, is it not? Imagine a young man, a young high school young man who wants to play baseball. He wants to score big in the majors, right? And that hope he has for his future, what is it gonna do? He's gonna practice. He's gonna hit the batting cages. It's even going to have an impact on, on his entertainment, what he finds entertaining and what he doesn't. He'll sit around and watch baseball games all day and just be fascinated for hours and watch the techniques and keep track of the stats and, and all of that stuff. Even what he defines as his entertainment is going to be affected by what his hope is for his future. It's going to have a profound impact. Let's take another example that maybe many of us can relate to. You want your hope for your future is to retire early, to retire at a good young age, maybe 59 or 60 or something like that. Well, how does that affect how you live your life today? Maybe you work longer hours. Maybe you forego family vacations, planning on traveling later because you think you'll have plenty of time. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're very thrifty about saving and very, very, uh, uh, very adamant that this percentage right here is what we must save out of every paycheck and you will make sacrifices. What is it Dave Ramsey says? You'll, you'll live like no one else so that later on you can live like no one else, right? But the point is, is that your hope of the future will have a profound impact on how you live your life today. Is that, can we all agree on that? Makes sense, right? Why do we do these things? Because what we hope for the future gives us convictions. What we hope for the future will determine our priorities. It will teach us patience. It will cause us to determine what are good activities and what is not. And it also enables us to deal with the setbacks faithfully. You see, this is why Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, this is why he refers to it as steadfastness of hope. Because it is the hope that we have that gives us patient endurance. It is the hope that we have that has a profound impact on how we live today. Now, there are two things you can be talking about when you talk about hope. And our culture, when we use the word hope, we, I think we tend to get it wrong a little bit. See, our culture tends to think of hope as a wish. You know, I wish this will happen in the future. I hope one day that I will own a Harley. I'm not joking. I, I actually want to own a Harley. So, you know, maybe on my 25th anniversary at the church, just saying, but anyway... <laughs> given that, uh, given my wife's, given Roxanne's view on the matter, chances are that is a wish and that will never happen. It's likely wishful thinking. It's a dream, yeah. That's not biblical hope. And yet most of the time when we talk about hope, that's what we're talking about. But biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation. That is what the scriptures talk about when it talks about hope. 
Romans chapter five, verse five, he talks about, and hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within your hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our hope. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the confident expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises to you. It is a confident expectation. So unlike a child wanting to make the major leagues or the hope of an early retirement, the hope of Christ is as secure as the very word of God himself. You have absolute confidence and that hope will have a profound impact on how we live today. That hope will profoundly impact how we live. If we truly have that hope, then it will have a profound impact on how we live. Three passages that are very key to this argument. Psalm 119, 166 says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. What gives him the strength? What gives him the motivation to do his commandments? Because of the hope that he has in Christ. First Timothy 4.10 it is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Why do they labor and strive in the faith? Because their hope is fixed on God. In 1 John 3, 3, talking about, talking about um, we don't know what we're gonna be like, but we know we will see Christ as he is. We know we will be like Christ. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him does what? Purifies himself. So it is expectation. It is confidence. And just as our first aim is, so, is to help you know the faith, our second aim is that you will live the faith, is to cultivate your hope, your hope in Christ, so that that hope will translate into confident living. Essentially, the biblical definition of hope and the characteristic of hope is that you live what you believe. You, you live, your life matches your confession. Your, your functional Lord is also your confessional Lord, all of that matches. Your life matches what you believe. That is biblical hope, living in the confidence of what is to come. We don't only want to cultivate your confession, although we must do that because that's where our hope comes from, but we also want to cultivate your conviction. We want Calvary Baptist Church not to just be a confessional church, but we want it to be a convictional church. We want to be a people who live by conviction. Amen? And not just any convictions, the convictions of the word of God. The convictions that are spelled out for us. So how does the church do this? And again, one thing I love about 1 Thessalonians chapter one is that you see these so, uh, so wonderfully and inspiredly played out how this young church grew in these three cardinal Christian characteristics. And so we're going to be looking primarily at verses six through seven this morning of 1 Thessalonians 1, although we are also going to pick up in verse nine. But we see the example of the Thessalonian church in these verses. Number one, 
We want you to cultivate living the faith through discipleship. We learn to live the faith through discipleship. Look in verse six. He says, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. Now, stop right there for a moment. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. What is that talking about? Discipleship is not just passing on knowledge. It is, it is much more than that. It's not just passing on a confession. It is much more than that. It is an imitation of faithful living. It is an imitation of Christ. One of the most famous devotionals that has ever been written, and it's not without its problems. It's from a, it's from a, a, a middle-aged mystic, so it's not without its problems, but it's had a profound impact in uh, biblical history, and that is Thomas Akempis and his work, The Imitation of Christ. And in spite of its problems, it's a, it's a good read. There's some things you want to avoid in it, but it is a good read. It inspired great men like uh, George Whitfield and, and John Wesley and some of these other men. Uh, it was practically required reading in the Puritan age. Uh, wonderful, wonderful book, even though you want to chew the meat and spit out the bones. The imitation of Christ. Imitation, what are we talking about here? Is that number one, we imitate faithful examples. You became imitators of us. Now, let's stop right there for a minute and ask the question, what does it mean to imitate? This word imitate is where we get the word mimic from. You ever have one of your kids mimic everything you say? Boy, isn't that just great? You know, sometimes, maybe dads, you've had this experience where you're in the, you're in the restroom getting ready for work or whatever, and, and you're shaving your beard, you know, and your little son comes in, and he picks up a, a little stick or maybe a, maybe a razor himself, and, and he just starts running over your face trying to mimic what you're doing, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about imitation. We're talking about imitating the mimicking faithful examples. And we see that the Thessalonian church, one of the things that made them so successful is that they imitated Paul and his company. Philippians chapter four, verse nine. Paul says that the things that you heard and learned received and seen in me practice these things. So what is it that we're imitating? We're imitating, look what he says. Learned, everything he learned, received, heard, and seen. Practice these things. Don't just know about them, but actually put them into practice. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He's talking to his faithful disciple, Timothy. He says, now, and listen to all of this. You have followed my teaching, yes, but also my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecution, and sufferings. Beloved, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. You see, essentially the entire lifestyle, the entire beliefs, the entire teaching, the entire purpose, the entire faith, the entire patience, even how they handled suffering and persecution. We show ourselves to be an example to all who believe and we, and we imitate those faithful examples that have come before us. That, uh, that old song by Steve Green that he sung so well, may all who come behind us find us faithful. 
May the footprints that we leave, leave them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. You know, a song doesn't have to be new to be great, amen? That's a wonderful song. Such wonderful faithfulness in that song. I actually heard him sing it live one time at a Focus on the Family. It was, it was good. So anyway, show, looking for faithful examples. And beloved, the entire church is called to this. The entire church is called to follow faithful examples. You know, oftentimes well-meaning preachers will say something like, you know, well, don't look at me. Don't follow me because I'll just, I'll just make you make mistakes. And I understand the heart of that. I really do because I am very familiar with my failings. I am very familiar with, with my mistakes and my sin. But Paul wasn't afraid to say that. Paul was not afraid to say it. In fact, he said it a lot. Why? Because the point was not for Paul to earn a personal following. But the point was that to the extent that he is faithful to Christ, that those who follow him will also be faithful to Christ. That's the point. You became imitators of me and of the Lord. You became imitators of me and Christ, imitating Christ. That is the ultimate goal. That we would follow Christ in everything that he did. And, and we imitate faithful examples. And look on in verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. We, we imitate faithful examples, but we also model faithful examples. Every Christian in your life should have two people. Every Christian should have two people in your life. I mean, you should have one who's more mature than you, whom you're following. You should have one less mature than you, whom you are helping. And it may even be in specific areas. We're not talking about total, you know, it doesn't have to be a total package. You may be better in one area and you're helping someone else. Whereas in another area in your life, you're, you're following someone and someone is helping you. That's okay. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. Following faithful examples and modeling. Not only did they imitate it, but they became examples to the rest of the churches in the area. In all Macadamia, Macadamia, Macadamia nuts, I'm hungry. Uh, in all Macedonia and Achaia. And I don't believe that's an exaggeration because... At this time, when Paul wrote this, there were very few churches and, and the Thessalonians traveled out. It was a very cosmopolitan city. It was very well-traveled roads. And, and, uh, and I don't think this is any example, that the, any exaggeration that the believers of Thessalonica became a model for all of the churches in that area. All of them. Paul says that the entire church, their faith and their life, that their discipleship was not just for their own benefit, but for everyone who is around them to benefit from. A tree does not grow fruit so the tree itself can eat it. But the tree grows fruit so that those around can enjoy it. And so in the same way, Paul says that they became a model. They were to live the faith and every Christian is called to this. Every Christian. So we need to follow some, we need to ask some questions here. We need to ask some questions here. This is what Christ told us to do, to follow his example. So there's some practical questions. What kinds of things are we supposed to imitate? 
In one of my first jobs, I worked at one of these uh, crummy check cashing stores that, uh, that like to fleece all their customers. I'm so glad that our attorney general put them out of business. But, uh, but anyway, the, the boss was a uh, charismatic believer and we would often get into some very interesting conversations. And, uh, and, one, and one time he came to me and he said, you know, we're called to be Christian, right? And I said, right. He said, and Christian means Christ-like, right? And I said, right. And he says, well, what kinds of things did Christ do? He healed the sick. He spoke in tongues. I don't remember that one, but that's what he said. He, he raised the dead. He prophesied. And if we're to be Christ-like, then that means we have to do those things too. The big problem with that kind of thinking is that Christ never told us to imitate any of those things. What does he tell us to imitate? John chapter 13, verse 15, washing the disciples' feet, many old task. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I do to you, washing the feet. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I loved you. That's the example we're to follow. Ephesians chapter two, chapter four, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's what we're to imitate. And there's all kinds of other things all kinds of other things we could say, but these are the kinds of things that we are called to imitate, the lifestyle, the confessions of Christ. We are called to be like Christ. And the way he has told us to do that is in his word. So we know the kinds of things we are to imitate, but how, how do we do this? How do we practically do this? I think Philippians 3.17 gives us a great great instruction, brothers and sisters, brethren and sistren, join in, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern. Two basic steps here. Observing those who walk according to the pattern of scripture. Find those who walk according to that pattern and watch them, observe them. Watch what they do. Watch how they suffer. Watch how they live. Watch how they pray. Observe them and then follow their example and then join them in following their example. And consequently, third John 11, this also has a kind of a, an implication and that is refusing to imitate what is evil. Refusing to imitate what is evil. You know what? Sometimes people do evil things in the church, refuse to imitate it, refuse to follow along with it. Don't give them that power. Refuse to follow it. Don't imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good and what is godly. And so discipleship is the means by which we cultivate in our church living the faith. One person one time said that discipleship is something to believe, something to do, and an occasional kick in the pants. There's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth. So we cultivate, number one, through discipleship, but then also, and we talked about this verse last week a little bit, so we're not gonna spend as much time on it. We cultivate living the faith through worship. 
through worship, and this is in verse nine. For they themselves, and we'll talk about that next week, but they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. Watch this, next phrase, how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Listen, I want you to understand that when we say worship, we don't just mean the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. We don't just mean even the gathering of the church, even though that is certainly involved. But I am speaking of the direction of our lives, who or what we are living for. That will determine what we are worshiping. And what we worship will shape our lives. There's an excellent book. It's a little technical in all honesty, but there's an excellent book by Beale called We Become What We Worship. And that is absolutely true that you will become like what you worship. You will become like what it is that you are wanting or being. And what we see here is that worship involves basically two things. And that is, number one, it involves turning from your idols. Now, in the context of Thessalonians, we are talking about actual little stone and wooden statues. And some of them weren't that little. Some of them were huge. And that's what we tend to think of. And, and we, t- you know, we think, oh, well, our civilization, we are too civilized and too modern. We, we don't have, we're too scientifically advanced. We don't, we don't fall for that foolish idolatry anymore. Sure about that? You sure about it? We may be scientifically advanced. And by the way, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for air conditioning. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But we are not too advanced for idols. We are not too advanced for idols. Our culture has just as many, if not more. They could be ideas like personal autonomy, political theories or platforms, freedom of choice that can become an idol. It can be pleasures, entertainment, consumerism, comfort like air conditioning. Physical pleasure. It could be objects. We relentlessly follow social media. We're relentlessly comparing ourselves to others. It could be relationships. We're obsessed with our relationship with someone else. We think if someone else were to ever leave or if someone else were to ever do this or that, we would just die. It can be relationships. And the one thing that all of these have in common is that we are all looking to them in order to bring joy and definition and identity to myself. The ultimate basic idol is self. What I want, what I think, what I prefer, what I, there are, my holy trinity is me, myself, and I. That is the ultimate idol. Make no mistake, the call to Christ is a call to die to self. Make no mistake, it is a call to die. The cross of Jesus Christ does not give baptized enablement to the sinful ideas and to the sinful desires of our culture. The cross of Christ does not enable the sinner. It slays the sinner. 
so that we may have the life of Christ within us. The call to Christ is a call to die. Simple. If anyone will follow after Christ, he must take up, he or she must take up their cross and follow Christ. Beloved, Christ is not talking about a little gold pendant to wear around your neck. He is talking about an old rugged thing that took his life. And make no mistake, if you would follow Christ, you must count the cost. That's not popular preaching. That's not gonna win friends and influence people. That's not gonna build a crowd. But it will build a church because it's the truth. It's not easy. It's not easy. And we'll say more about that in a minute. Worship involves turning from our idols, but it also involves serving our true God taking up our cross daily, not just, you know, the goal is not to become monks. The goal is not to, to, to sacrifice for the sake of sacrificing. That's the older brother, right? That's the older brother. Oh, I've served you all these many years, dad. I've done everything right. Why are you so happy about the sinner who's come back? That's the older brother. We don't sacrifice for the sake of sacrificing. We sacrifice, we turn from our idols so that we can, we take up our cross daily so that we will then follow Christ and all the things that we talked about earlier and all the ways that he told us to imitate him. It's a process. And while Paul is in verse nine talking about their initial conversion, beloved, the truth is, is our entire lives are a process of turning from our idols and turning to serve a true and living God. It is a process. People tend to think about growth in Christ as, we tend to think about it in terms of geology. My wife, Roxanne took a geology class a few years ago and I was like, enjoy that, you know, looking at rocks. It was actually fascinating. It's actually really fascinating. And there are basically two ways that rocks are formed. They are formed by volcanoes, which is a sudden explosion, right? In fact, I got a picture up there, pretty cool. I think I do, yeah, there it is. It's a sudden explosion, right? And that's how we often tend to think of becoming, uh, uh, becoming mature in Christ, that there's going to be this sudden experience, this sudden crisis, this sudden rededication, this sudden uh, um, entire sanctification, this sudden thing. It's going to happen to me all of a sudden. And I'm just waiting for that experience. And you know what? Sometimes God in his grace, he does that. Sometimes he does that. I know a gentleman, I've told you about him before that uh, he fought in Vietnam. And from the day he got back until 1998, when he got saved, there was never a day he was sober. And Jesus radically saved him, radically. He dropped the alcohol and to this day has never touched it again. Radical salvation. You know what? Sometimes God does that. Sometimes he does. But there's also another way rocks are formed and that is gradually through a natural process. When they're in a river and the water runs and then the process of the water running in the river, it brings additional nutrients and it takes nutrients away. And over the course of time, new rocks are formed. And beloved, in the same way, 
this is how God changes us. It's a, it's a slow, sometimes painful, but a lifelong process by which we are constantly eroding away our serving idols and taking on the new nutrients of God's word. Turning from our idols and turning to serve a true and living God. And many of us are waiting for the volcanic explosion of God's grace. And we are waiting and waiting and waiting. And when we get it, then we'll live for God. But beloved, I would challenge you this morning, get in the river. Jump in the river. Don't wait for the volcano. Jump into the normal means that God has given you. His word, his prayer, worship. And over time, you will see growth in Jesus Christ. A student asked me one time, he was so frustrated with with his sin. He said, Randy, will I ever get over this? Will I ever defeat it? And I said, yeah, you will. As the word of God does its work in your life, you will win victory over the sin. The word will do its work. You just have to give it time. It takes time. And as you're in that process, you're going to discover very quick that you're not able to do it, not by yourself. The more you try to live for God, the more you're going to fail. The more you try to do things for God, the more they're going to fall flat. You're going to figure out very quickly at first that this is not something I can do on my own, and that is the point. It's not something you can do on your own. And beloved, it will become apparent that we cannot live like Christ perfectly by any stretch. The only way we can grow deeper in knowing Christ and the only way we can continue to live like Christ in a deep way is to have an ongoing, growing, deeper, personal contact with Christ through his word and through worship, through discipleship, through prayer and the means that he's given us. All fruit, this is the basis of our ministry. All fruit, all spiritual fruit is a result of the depth of our walk with Christ. The goal is to grow deeper, not wider. We all know those churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Beloved, we wanna be a mile wide and a mile deep, amen? But you give me the choice. I wanna go deeper, I want to go deeper. I don't want to build a crowd. I want to build a church. Amen? In Sunday school, we're talking about spiritual disciplines and one of the benefits of keeping a spiritual journal, we talk about that, a sermon journal, prayer journal, daily record, whatever kind. And I shared with them that some of the most rewarding reading that you can do as a Christian is to read the journals of great men and women who have gone before us. Read the writings they never intended anyone else to read. Read the writings they never knew that someone else was going to read. Jonathan Edwards, and he published his son-in-law's diary, uh, David Brainerd. Read his diary. Read Martin Luther. Read the personal letters of Samuel Rutherford. Amazing reading. And it becomes evident very quickly that what made these men and women so amazingly effective in Christ was not that they were great in and of themselves, but it was the depth of their walk with Christ. That's what made them so affected. It was the depth of their souls yearning to be in the presence of Christ. 
It was the death of their longing to know Christ and him crucified. That is what made them so effective in ministry. And beloved, that's what I want the effectiveness of Calvary Baptist Church to come from. Not because we have the right marketing tools, not because we have the right slogans, but because we have the depth of knowing Christ and him crucified. That's what I want. And that's what I believe all of you want. Programs do not attract people. People attract people. Amen? You may get them here. You have the best program in the world, but if it's full of people who are not sanctified, it's not going to do much good. People attract people. Don't wait passively for the explosion of God's moving. Put yourself in the river. And maybe the explosion will come. Maybe it will. Praise God when it does. Sometimes God gives us a boost, right? But put yourself in the stream of God's grace in your life through the means he's given you and this is how we live the faith. So let me ask you a question this morning as we close. I would ask you just very simply, in fact, let's close our eyes and just search inwardly for a moment. I would ask the musicians to come on up. Let me just ask you a question. Do you have that yearning? Do you long to be more like Christ? To turn away from all your sin and live for Christ and him alone? Is there an insatiable hunger in you to know Christ more, to know Jesus and him crucified? Do you have that desire? If not, why? Ask yourself that question. Why is that desire not there? Maybe it's because you have not really turned away from your idols. Maybe there's something that you're longing more than Jesus. What is it? And is it really worth it? Or maybe it's because you're not really converted in the first place. The spirit is not within you crying, Abba, Father. And yet you're feeling that call now. Will you respond to it? Ask the Lord to give you that insatiable desire to know him and him crucified so that you'll walk with him. Our Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's one here who is not converted, I pray that if there is one who is, who simply does not know you, that this morning will be the morning they come to yourself. Lord, I suspect that there are several in here who if they were honest with themselves this morning, they would have to say, I don't really have a desire to know God. I don't really have a desire to know Christ, but I want to. Lord, reveal their idols to them and give them the will and the strength to turn away from them. Lord, whatever our need is, speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you for these truths. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song. Make it our prayer.